Over one billion people check Facebook at least once a day. And they spend close to an hour a day on Facebook. I think that's a low number, to be honest. But they, they spend about 50 minutes to an hour in the Facebook product line. And so we have some millennials, some Gen Y in here, and they're like, I don't do Facebook, but you do Instagram or you use Messenger, things like that. So that's just, just in the Facebook line. That doesn't add things like TikTok and Snapchat, which are kind of uh, in trend right now. Uh, this is almost as much time as we spend eating and drinking. And so that's about an hour we spend a day just eating and drinking we spend on social media. And your time really is what Facebook wants. It's how they sell advertising. It's how they increase their profits is the more your face is in that screen, any social media device is, is so that they can sell advertising. And so they want you to be locked into that screen as much as possible. Your time also helps them gather information on how you will spend more time on that app. A Facebook spokesperson once said, the time people spend on our site is a good measure of whether we're delivering value to them. The better we do at providing what people most want to see, the more likely they are to return to the app and spend time. You may say, what's the big deal? Why is it such a big deal if I spend a good amount of my time on Facebook? I mean, there's no real big consequences, is there? And as Christ followers, I got to hit it from the angle of a pastor and, and talk about, and we really need to ask ourselves the question and evaluate something we spend so much time on by being honest with ourselves and asking, does this technology help me imitate Christ and glorify God. We pretty much have to do that with anything. Anything we're kind of consuming and taking in. Does it help me imitate Christ and glorify God? Does it help me do those things well or, or, or not at all? Now, I personally believe not everything about social media is evil. It does help me stay in touch with friends that I normally wouldn't stay in touch with. It helps my grandma like what's, you know, pictures in my life and, and comments that, that, that we make in our family, and she gets to see her grandkids. And so it does keep people connected. It is a good thing in some ways. You know, people with common interests and hobbies and likes and, and thoughts can kind of gather and, and talk about things. And even sometimes maybe those develop into real relationships. And so we can't say it's this evil thing. I mean, it's a software app. It's, it's ones and zeros, and it's a, it's a program, right? But the more I study it, and the more I, I, I just experience life with it, the more I see it as a problem, a potential stumbling block. I believe it's the reason for so much suffering, pain, fear, discontentment, and frustration many people experience on a daily basis. Study after study shows that Constant social media use is not good for our minds and our hearts. And I think if we look at it from a biblical standpoint, it's not good for our souls either. We've got to be honest about this medium so that we can be wise in discussing whether we should handle it well or, or should we decide just to put it down altogether. So how does social media affect us? 
Now raise your hand, just be honest, raise your hand if you, are, you have a social media account. Anybody want to be? So most of us in this room, Larry, you don't have any social media account whatsoever? I did it for a week. <laughs> did it for a week. That was enough. Yeah, well, I'm going to praise you later on. Yeah. How does it affect us? I mean, so guys, we're all on it in some way or another. How does it affect our souls? Well, first, social media, if we're not careful, can be a breeding ground for the sin of approval seeking. The sin of approval seeking. I don't post often. If you look at my Facebook, I post like three times a year because it'll well up in me a hunger for likes. I posted a few weeks ago on Facebook. It was a picture of my family and I. We were decked out in Douglas County football gear. I was on the sideline coaching. It was my whole family and, and we looked good and we looked happy and we looked like we were doing important work. I'm coaching you through, through, through football, through adolescence. And man, I, I can tell you when that little red flag popped up over likes, it was like, pretty neat. People like me. They really like me. And every time you hear that, that, that bing, that saying somebody's engaged your post or commented or liked or maybe even used the heart, which means they loved what you were saying or doing or displaying. I mean, you get that little shot of dopamine, right? You get that little shot of like, oh, that's, that's pretty neat. I've never had this many likes. I got, I had a hundred likes. I'm going viral. No, you're not. <laughs> but we do that. We kind of get pumped up. Man, I've never had this. Ha I had more people wish me happy birthday this year than they did last year. Isn't that cool? Isn't that neat? I mean, I'm doing something right. It's crazy. We kind of, we live in, and die by likes. We, we curate our lives. We, we shape our lives. Um, to seek approval, and we present sometimes, because we want validation, because we want approval, we present in us that's, that's not really us. We begin shaping our digital lives to be approved and admired. We post the most flattering pictures of ourselves in our families. It's like me and my husband, hashtag blessed, but you never show a picture of a, a husband sleeping on a couch being like, hashtag marriage fight 2021. I mean, nobody ever does those sort of things. They don't throw or post pictures of their kids throwing fits, partly because they don't want their kids to need counseling later. Uh, but uh, we, we don't, we don't post ugly. We, we hold the camera uh, we po we, women pose a certain way. Guys suck in their guts and we hold the camera at a certain angle to hide double chins and, and dad bods and, and the like. And we just, we post this very manicured picture of ourselves that's not really ourselves in order to get validation from people we haven't maybe seen in 25 to 30 years. I mean, can you see the danger of this and approval seeking. Here's the problem with approval seeking. You'll never feel approved if you're seeking the approval of man. I heard Mark Batterson, a pastor, once say that if you live for compliments, you'll die by criticism. If you live for compliments, if you're the type of person who lives for, for compliments and approval, you will die when criticized or when there's a lack of approval. Nobody liked my picture. I, mean, I thought that was pretty thoughtful. I thought that was a good picture. You know, nobody wished me 
I didn't get as many happy birthday thanks this year as I maybe did last year. I mean, kind of what's going on? Some of us really struggle with the the sin of of approval seeking. And it's, it's a danger. Furthermore, in Scripture, we're just flat out told over and over and over again not to seek the approval of man. Not to seek the approval of man. Look at 1 Thessalonians 2, 3-4. I'm going to have most of it up here. I'm going to have one passage we're going to read here in a second in our Bibles. But 1 Thessalonians 2, 3-4. For our appeal, this is Paul talking about the gospel and his entreating them with the gospel uh, and, and his credibility. He's saying, for our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please men, but to please God who tests our hearts. Paul's ministry in life is not shaped around people-pleasing. It's not for the adulation of men. It is to please the Lord. And there's a key theological distinction I want to make here that we see in some of Paul's other writings that's maybe not explicit here. He lives not to earn God's approval in the sense that he might be saved. So he's not trying to impress God and saying, God, look at me now. Am I worthy to be saved? He lives to please the one who has already given him approval in that way. You were approved when you put your faith and work, or faith and and belief in Jesus Christ, work on the cross for your behalf. We do not earn approval. We accept it as a free gift. It's by grace, not through works. It's believing in who Jesus is and what he has done for us. Now, this is where I do want you to open your Bibles. Turn to Ephesians 1. We're going to read a rather large chunk here, but if you like to write in your Bible, I'll have you underline a few things. You are approved when you put your faith and work in Jesus Christ. You are approved by the creator of the universe. Look at Ephesians 1, go to verse 3. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption. God loves you so much, he adopted you to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, as sons and daughters according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. That's in Christ. In him, we have redemption through his blood. That means you have been freed from sin's power. You have been bought. We are now Christ. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins, our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight, making known 
to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness in time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and on earth. Now the goodness for us doesn't stop there. Look at verse 11. In him we have obtained an inheritance. You are an heir with Christ. You have an inheritance that's awaiting you in heaven with Jesus, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Now that is, there's a lot of stuff going on in that passage and it would probably take weeks to preach through that passage, but do you see what has happened through Christ for you? Do you see how God values you? You you have been adopted. You have been redeemed. You have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. You are now in Christ. It's as if God has looked at at the picture of our life and he has hit the like button. We have been approved by God. And so here's my question. Is that enough for you? You have been approved by God through the work of Jesus. Why do we seek any other approval? Why do we seek approval from created things when we have the approval of of the creator? You see, social media turns us into approval-seeking machines, Scripture moves us to say, in Christ, we are approved. John Piper said, when we retreat from the treacherous and counterfeit roller coaster of human approval and hide ourselves in Christ, we no longer need to fear. We're no longer tempted to boast and we will no longer cower to please others. We will live instead for the pleasure of knowing God and being known by him. In Christ, we are approved. Related to the sin of of approval-seeking is the sin of envy and covetousness, vices which flourish in, in online communities. Because social media gives us the ability to create these flawless super personas devoid of a flaw or, or messiness or ugliness, how much more can that envy take root in our hearts? I mean... You get on social media and you go, look at their house. I mean, look, at, look, at, look at the house they're, they're building. I mean, look at all their well-behaved, talented children. I mean, look how, look how good they look. I mean, what's, what has happened here? What am I? I mean, I know what I'm not doing that they're doing, but, but man, I, I wish I could look like that. I mean, look at, look at all the 
accomplishments of that family. Look at all the success they have. Look at all the money they're making. Look at all the athletic accomplishments of, of their children. I mean, man, that's, that's, look at all the adventures they go on. I mean, I want to look good and go on adventures. Honey, why don't we look good and go on adventures? Well, it, it's because we like McDonald's and we're not rich. <laughs> like, wait, wait, wait. But I want, I want what they have. I want more. Trevin Wax said, comparison may be one of the most underestimated worldly passions. Unlike dramatic sins like adultery and revenge, comparison flies under the radar and wields more power in our life than we realize. I want a life like that. I want the things they want. I want to be good looking like they are. I want to be successful as they are. I want to have what they have. I want to do what they do. I'm just not happy. And if we really look at envy and covetousness, it's really a preoccupation. It's a lustful desire with that which is worldly. Mostly we covet things that will wither and fade. We covet things of this world. But God, through Scripture, moves us to focus on the spiritual, things that will last. And, and in that realm, in Christ, you and I have been given everything. We have been given everything. Look at 2 Peter 1, 3 through 4. It'll be up here on the screen. Everything from this point on will be up here on the screen. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. That means we can become like Christ. Having escaped from the corruption that is in the world, because of sinful desires. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through Christ, we have received everything important. The gift of eternal life, righteousness through the blood of Jesus, the promise of hope that our future with him is secure, freedom from sin in this life. This is why Paul can say, in Philippians 4, 11 through 13. And again, it'll be up here on the screen. This is an often misquoted passage. He says, not that I'm seeking of, or speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned that the I've learned the secret of of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ, Him who strengthens me. Now, when Paul says I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, he's not saying that he can bench five hundred pounds because he believes hard enough. He's not saying that he can fly if he just has enough faith. When he talks about doing all things through Christ who strengthens me, he's talking about a Christ who strengthens him in every circumstance. He can be content in every circumstance because it is Christ strengthening him. He need not covet or envy because in Christ... 
He possesses everything he needs. And so do we. You want rest? You don't need to buy a boat. You don't need to go on another fishing trip. You don't need to go on an adventure. If you want rest, look to Jesus. If you want friendship, true friendship, authentic friendship, look to Jesus. If you want peace, we, we look to Jesus. You want true family, look to Jesus for comfort. He's a defender. He satisfies our need for love, joy, sustenance, and even riches, true riches that will not fade are found in him. I mean, envy is not becoming of a Christ follower. It's not becoming of a Christian because what we're essentially telling Jesus is like, hey, thank you for you and, and everything you've done for me, but I want more. You're not enough. What you have accomplished for my sake is not a, I want what they have. I want a car like that. I want a six pack. And I want to go on vacation. God, that, you plus that would really be great. Because ultimately you are, are not enough. Social media moves us, whether we like it or not, because of our sinful nature to envy, to covetousness. It moves us to say, I want more. Scripture encourages us to be settled in this truth. Our God is enough. Our God is enough. I'm, I'm approved because of the work of Jesus Christ. Our God is enough. Social media is a breeding ground for approval seeking and envy. It's also a breeding ground for our last one, which is anger. Anger, man. Our culture is highly charged. Every conversation about race, gender, politics, and religion, it's, it's rigged with C4, and it's ready to explode families and relationships. There's, it used to be you just don't talk politics and religion at the dinner table. Now you don't talk about anything at the dinner table with your extended family because everything makes everyone angry. We're angry about everything. We're outraged about everything. And then there's this culture war kind of happening. And kind men by day turn into ideological warriors at night who wield the keyboard as a weapon of condemnation. Mob mentalities, cancel culture, endless brutal arguments in comment sections, and they're full of anger and fury, and these things, they flood our news feeds. Outrage abounds because the social media system is built to stoke that flame. The algorithm, the, the, the software, does not reward grace. It rewards anger. The more someone likes a post, retweets it, and engages with it in some manner, the quicker it spreads in this landscape. And do you know what sells? Anger. Hate. Division. Encouraging tweets, hopeful tweets, compassionate posts, they just aren't shared as much as angry ones. 
Anger easily goes viral. One author notes, cancel culture thrives because the reward system and algorithms support the mobs. The mobs are angry. And we are more eager to share negative content because fear and anger push us to action more than love. I'm going to say that again. We are more eager to share negative content because fear and anger push us to action more than love. We, as Christians, have done a poor job navigating the minefield that is social media. In fact, I've witnessed over the past two years as as faithful followers of Jesus have, have disagreed as to how to handle COVID and wearing masks or not. And I've seen people be outright jerks online, which is so hard because scripture tells us over and over again to measure our words. Scripture warns us about against being quarrelsome, dismissive, and disrespectful, divisive, hurtful, and slanderous. Those warnings are are all peppered throughout Scripture from beginning to end. But if that's not enough for you, look look at Matthew 12. Look at Matthew 12, 36 and 37. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. Your words, including what you text, type, post, or comment, your words will be used as evidence as to whether Jesus has truly transformed your heart or not. It'll be used as evidence for you or against you as proof as to whether or not your faith and the life-changing work of Jesus Christ is real. Now that should move some of us to quit social media altogether because it just wells up too much anger in us. Or maybe we should just stay away for a little bit. Let that anger simmer, get healthy, and maybe approach it from a different angle. And for some of you who who like to engage in the ideological warfare that can happen behind a keyboard, I'm going to encourage you with with just a few things, a few questions to really ask yourself. Again, because I just think we're so impulsive. I think we're so impulsive. So here's just a few questions to ask yourself before you rage comment or comment at all about a divisive topic. You need to ask yourself, does this comment or post really need to be shared? Do I really need to share this? We are under no obligation to give our opinion. We are under no obligation to respond to somebody else's opinion. Just because you want to share your opinion doesn't mean you should share your opinion. Does that make sense? Nobody's putting a gun to your head and saying, you have to comment. You have to pick a side. You have to say this. You have to defend this. Nobody, guys, I think God in this day and age loves silence. He just loves when we take a minute and we don't respond. Look at Proverbs 10, 19. When words 
are many. Transgression is not lacking. But whoever restrains his lips is prudent. I believe to, to practice silence, an, an understated virtue, to practice it in this slow-to-hear, quick-to-speak culture, I think silence pleases Christ more often than not, especially when it comes to online stuff. You need to ask yourself, will this comment really build others up? Will it be good for those who hear it? Will it be a gift? Will it be a grace for those who hear it? If your motive is to just argue because you, you, you get a good feeling when, when you like being right or, or to impress others or to display your intellectual acumen, I encourage you to then stop yourself from posting. Stop yourself from posting. Look at Ephesians 4, 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Lastly, you must ask yourself, can I speak with kindness? Can I post with kindness? Look at Proverbs 15, 1. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Look at Proverbs 12, 18. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. I don't care if you're face to face. I don't care if you're online. When you're speaking to somebody you disagree with, we are still called to be kind. It brings healing. It turns away wrath, but, but, but most importantly, you are called to be kind because that is how Jesus was with you. And guess what? You weren't that lovable. <laughs> we were enemies of God, yet he still died for us. We didn't deserve the, the loving kindness and grace of God, but he led with that anyways. We need to let love and kindness lead the way with us. If we truly have received the loving kindness, the grace, the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, then, then, then we need to be people. We should be, we don't have to be motivated. It just come naturally out of us to show that same loving kindness to others, even though we think they don't deserve it. I mean, don't want you, don't, don't you want that? Don't you want people to treat you with kindness and assume the best and love you and treat you better than maybe you deserve it sometimes? I think there's something about doing unto others as we would like to have stuff done to us, something, something like that in Scripture. Well, guys, we're called to be kind. We're called to display Christ's love. Social media feeds our desire to fight. It feeds our desire to divide and disagree. It puts up walls and borders. And God says, because I loved you, you need to be loving and kind to others. You're called to be loving and kind. Approval seeking, envy, anger. These are sins people have struggled with uh, for, since the beginning of time. And, and Larry, I know you're not on social media. And, and for you who are not on social media, who are not regular users, you may be like, well, I'm not on social media, so this doesn't pertain to me. Come on now. Approval seeking, envy, and anger, those things are quite universal. And so I encourage you to, to really think, how does this apply to my life? 
at work, on the job, in my neighborhood? How is Satan getting a foothold to, to, to move in me the worldly desire to, to be angry, the worldly desire to covet, the worldly desire to seek approval in that which is not God? Now, for those of you who say, I do use Facebook, Instagram, and Snapchat. I'm gonna urge you to do two things. One is be honest with yourself. Be honest with yourself. Does it help you imitate Christ and glorify God? If not, put it down. Just put it down. You won't regret it. I, I guarantee you that. You won't regret putting it down. Nobody's ever been like, man, I'm really sad that I took, you know, I've been actually paying attention more and focusing more and reading more. And I mean, nobody's ever been like, nobody, we talked about this in our community group. Nobody ever spends two hours on social media and has been like, yes, I feel refreshed. That was a, a time well spent. I'm really glad I spent my last two hours doing that. I encourage you to put it down. But if you're still like, okay, I hear you, I hear you, but, I, but I'm not convicted to, to drop it altogether. I'm gonna encourage you two things. First, don't waste your life on a screen. That was another one I wanted to talk about, just the amount of time we waste looking at a screen. We talked about that last week. And number two, be wise. If you can't say the following things, just don't get on. If you can't say God's approval is all I desire. Just don't get on. If you are prone to seek affirmation online, I'm gonna encourage you to, to avoid it. If you can't say, Jesus is enough for me when using this medium, then seriously think about putting it down. If you can't say, Christ's kindness is evident with me, in me, then seriously think about deleting the app, blocking that site for, for a day, a week, a month, until Christmas. Guys, maybe even forever. I'm not telling you it's evil. I'm not telling you every time you, you update your status, you're in sin. But just like with anything else, we just have to be wise. And we have to be honest with yourself. And I could give you another challenge. Hey, three weeks, no social media. But then you'll not do social media for two or three weeks. And then just like we did last week, we'll kind of gorge ourselves when we're done. I think we need to approach it from a more holistic sense. If this social app, this device gets in the way of us experiencing the full joy, contentment, and peace of, of knowing him and living for him, I pray that we all have the wisdom and courage to approach it wisely or put it down.